Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Good morning, sleep-in service. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, uh, one of the teaching pastors here. To those of you who are watching online, happy Memorial Day. We hope you have a great weekend. We've been doing a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Depending on how you date it, this is 2,500 to 3,000-year-old wisdom that the more I read, the more I believe in as a conviction of my heart. It's more relevant today than it has ever been before. I read this and I go, this feels like it was written yesterday not 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. We think this is so important. We're doing 12 chapters in 12 weeks. We are dedicating multiple months to the wisdom that Solomon has for us in this particular book. Then we're going to move on to a series on worship a little bit later on this particular summer. So this weekend, if you got a Bible or an app or your outline, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's an intense passage. I hope you're ready for it. And I'm going to start with a simple question. Have you ever wanted to be someone else? Like just for a second, right? You just want to change lives with somebody because it feels like their life is just a little bit better than yours. I saw a sign posted on Twitter that said, always be yourself unless you can be Batman. <laughs> and then you should always be Batman. I mean, as a kid, right? Who didn't want to be Batman? He had toys and a cool car, a cave and a butler. I mean, that just sounds like the perfect life. And we, we laugh at that, but then we also think to ourselves, but that's kind of the way it works, right? If I only had that person's boat, if I only had that neighbor's car, if I only had that person's spouse, boy, if I had that person's job, then life would be absolutely perfect because they seem to have it all together. Here's the question. Do they? Do they? Solomon's going to ask you a simple question today. Pick a person. He's going to lay out four different kinds of people, and then he's going to ask you to actually choose which of the four people do you want to pattern your life after. Let's get to work with the first person. I call the first person the pessimistic realist who thinks the whole world is going to hell. Isn't that encouraging? Are you so glad you came to church, right? 
Hold on tight, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. There's that phrase again. Every time you see it, under the sun, it means life without God. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. They have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who's never been born, who's not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Aren't you so encouraged with Solomon's tone? It's like better to not have even been born. The world is so messed up. Let's keep going. And I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. There's somebody looking for somebody else's life. This too is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls full of toil and chasing after the wind. I would describe this person with two words, disillusioned and devastated. And think about who's writing this. This is a man with inexhaustible resources. He's got it all, but he can't hold it all together. He's in charge of his whole world. And he's saying, I'm disillusioned and devastated at the condition of everything that's happening around me. I mean, the guy's depressed. We've been studying this together. And I was meeting with a couple yesterday morning, just sitting in, in the room at the care center where, where, where Garrett lives. And I asked Arlene, because she's been studying this, I said, what's your summary of chapter four? She goes, Solomon's depressed. It's true. I'm sitting at Sea Home Starbucks early Tuesday morning, getting ready for a network executive team retreat. And there is a lady sitting just a few seats over for me. And I'm watching her. She's interacting on her computer. And as she's, you know, scrolling down on her computer, she's, she's making noises. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And I'm uncomfortable, right? <laughs> so is everybody else. I'm uncomfortable, but, but I'm kind of curious. Because it seems like what she's looking at on her computer is actually triggering a physical response. She's like, oh, oh. So because I'm curious, I get up and wander over to get a napkin. (laughs) And I take a look at her computer screen. She's just reading the news. She's on a news feed and her response is, oh, Oh, and I get it. I get it, right? Shootings and violence and murder and pain and tornadoes. And a guy last week that said Bellingham's going to be underwater by the year 2100. You know, thank you for blessing me with that news. That's great, right? It's all bad news and nothing has changed for 2,500 years. But I want to remind you, Solomon describes all of this pain as life under the sun. It's life without God, which means apparently the answer to all that pain is still Jesus. Still Jesus. I read verse 6. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. People ask me, where does your tranquility come from when the world is just going to hell? I don't know where you get it from. I get it from the Prince of Peace. Where does your ability to be calm in the midst of, of the world spinning out of control, where do you go for that? I don't know where you go. I go to the mighty God. Where do you go when everything just seems to be shifting around you and you don't have anyone to talk to about it? I don't know where you go. I go to the wonderful counselor. I mean, it's so tempting to be disillusioned and devastated, but we can't lose hope. You know what was so cool about Seahome Starbucks Tuesday morning, even though the lady was groaning in the corner, it was what was happening in the other corner that was so encouraging. 
there's a young life leader. I found out his name is Cam Moser. Cam, you're my hero. Early on a Tuesday morning, at an ungodly early hour, Cam is there with his Bible and four high school guys, and they're reading the Bible and learning Scripture together and loving Jesus, and while she's groaning, they're laughing their fool heads off. <laughs> That's hope. Next person, the hardworking professional. Now, we all know somebody like this, right? But here's Solomon's description. Again, I saw something meaningless, which means vapor, vanity under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. We all know that person, don't we? They're driven, they're successful, they've got an M5 in the driveway, two more on order, they've got a corner office, they're paying the price, they're climbing up the corporate ladder, and we have a phrase for it to describe them. They're living the dream. But Solomon says there's a catch to that dream. There's a price tag attached to it, and this man, this woman has it all, but here's the problem. They're successful, but they're alone. They've got all the toys, but that's it. They keep their calendar really, really full of business appointments because the truth is they don't have anybody else to plug in when they're not working. They work their tails off, but they go home alone. They eat alone. They go to an empty house. Their relationships are all connected to the elevation of their LinkedIn status. And they would tell you, I absolutely love my life. But down deep underneath, they're asking the same question as everybody else. Is this it? Solomon wrote this, and he had it all, but he was alone. I've done a lot of historical work in researching Solomon. In one commentary that came outside of the Bible, but actually came from historical sources, Solomon was known for throwing lavish dinner parties. The problem was this, nobody else showed up. He would often eat by himself. I want you to hold in your mind that picture. Here's this successful, driven person. He's got everything the world has to offer. And now Solomon is going to talk about something else. Solomon not only wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he, I, he also compiled or wrote the book of Proverbs, a lot of wisdom. And I'm so amazed. If you read Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life, he has certain conclusions. Earlier in his life, he was making different conclusions. Listen to what Solomon wrote earlier in his life, Proverbs 15, 17. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Modern translation. Better to have three friends who would gather with you around a bowl of salad than to have a steak dinner that you eat by yourself because nobody else wants to hang with you. Modern translation, better to be able to share a little than to have no one to share a lot with. Robert Putnam wrote a book. I love the book's title, Bowling Alone. Just get the picture in your head, Bowling Alone. The rest of the title is The Collapse and Revival of American Community. His premise is simple. The more secondary social connection we have, the less social capital we actually possess. And let me tell you what social capital is. Social capital are the people in your life who actually know you. 
I mean, they don't say they know you. They actually know you. They know the real you. They know that your Instagram is not your real life. They know your name and your middle name. They know you. They know you beyond the persona that you put out there. They know you in the real moments of your real life. That's social capital. But culture kind of works this way, right? We got a thousand friends on Facebook, but not a single one of them will show up and help us move apartments. And that is the true test, isn't it? Right? Only your real friends will help you move. That's how it works, all right? We've got 700 followers on Twitter, but not a single one of them knows our middle name. We post on Instagram and 88 people like the picture, but we all know that that picture is an absolute lie. And we just live in fear that if people knew the real condition of our life, they wouldn't follow us anywhere, right? We know how it works, right? There's this beautiful family picture. The reality is it was 20 minutes of hell to get everybody in one place at one time looking in the same direction and smiling, right? That's, nobody posts that, right? Here's our family hating each other, right? How real, I think that would be awesome. I'd like that picture, right? All right. Putnam estimates with the advent of social media, and believe me, I'm not slamming social media. It was originally designed to connect us, but he estimates with the advent of social media, social capital has gone down by 35%. Because we no longer have to do life together. We just think we need to like something and that's enough. First person, disillusioned and devastated. Second person, successful but alone. They're successful but they're dissatisfied. What does the verse say about this person? It says, his eyes were not content. He never has enough. He has an insatiable appetite for more. So he's always searching. He's always looking. But it's never enough. Jim Carrey, famous comedian rich, rich, rich man wrote these words. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that's not the answer. Wow. Let me read another quote to you and then I'll tell you who wrote it. At first we thought we all wanted the fame. After a bit we realized fame wasn't really what we were after at all, just the fruit of it. After the initial excitement and thrill had worn off, I, for one, became unbelievably depressed. I asked, is this all we have to look forward to in life? Being chased around by a crowd of hooting lunatics from one crappy hotel room to another. You know who said that? One of the original members of the most successful rock and roll bands in world history, George Harrison from the Beatles. Solomon is screaming at us. Your, your vapor is meaningless without connection. Your vapor is meaningless without hope. Your vapor is meaningless without God. Now, some of you noticed the numbers are out of order. You think it's a typo. It's not. I love your OCD. Welcome to the club. I get it. All right. We're going to come back to number three in a moment, but we're going to jump to the end of the chapter and listen to Solomon describe person number four. Now, remember, at the end of our time together, you're going to pick Verse 13 says this, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Boy, that's a statement right there. Solomon's saying this, if I could do it over again, I'd rather be a broke young adult who is still at a place in their life where they can make decisions to follow and honor God. I'd rather go back and be that person than be a rich king who got his life completely messed up with the wrong priorities. 
Verse 14 continues, the youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon is saying, I know exactly how it feels to have been the guy. I was once the guy, but here's what I figured out, and just the flavor of the month. He says, I'm person number four. I'm popular, but I'm quickly forgotten. Because this king learned something. There's always a new king coming, right? In our culture, there's always a substitute savior that shows up and says, I can make your life easier. I can make it so much more simple. And they make promises to us of change and happiness. And we buy it. And then they prove something to us. They're human. And none of them keep their promises. And we're surprised when God stands there and says, you know what? That person can't help you with real change, but I can. Because I'm the God who repairs and restores. That person tells you, tries to convince you that you can have happiness if you just have enough stuff. What I'm going to tell you is the stuff never satisfies and I can give you an upgrade from happiness. I can actually teach you what it means to experience joy in this moment, in this world. That's not where Solomon's at. Solomon says, I'm connected, but only on the surface. Solomon says, people love me, but they're in love with my persona, not my person. Solomon would say, I got a lot of fans. I don't have a lot of friends. It's just so hard to hear him pour out his heart. He says, I was the man. I had advisors in a royal court. I was on the front page. And then suddenly, like a vapor, it was gone. He thought he had real friends. What he found out was they were only attached to him because he had a title he was the king. And then this new young hotshot shows up. And it's really, really interesting. If you look at all the kings before Solomon, David was famous, but we don't even really recognize the names of most of the ones that came before David. And then there's this kid named Rehoboam that shows up after Solomon, and he's just got family issues and problems. And, and Rehoboam shows up, and, and everybody's just starts going, oh, we want to follow the young kid. We want to follow the new guy. Forget Solomon. And Solomon says, I get it. On Good Friday, after the service, we did uh, two Good Friday services. All of our campuses came together. We had all the campus pastors share as a part of Good Friday. And after the service was over, some of my friends, and you'll understand why I'm doing air quotes because I'm going to be looking for new friends because of what they said to me, but some of my friends came up and said, Grant, we noticed something. You're the old guy now. Like I said, I need some new friends. So if you want to come say hi afterwards, that'd be cool, right? You're the old guy. And you know what's crazy? They're right. It's true. Most of our campus pastors are young, which means I'm old. I mean, I've been hanging out with you guys for 20 years. Some of our campus pastors could be my kids, right? And I can let that freak me out. And go, what am I going to do? Like, these guys are just lining up. Somebody's going to take my place. They're going to knock me off. I could get all freaked out about it, or I could say, no. I know what God is calling me to this next season. I'm going to work on legacy. I'm going to work on legacy. Third John says, I have no greater joy than knowing my children are walking in the truth. I don't know about you, but I want that. 
I want to finish this run, and then I want to throw the torch at somebody, and I want them to actually catch and run. I don't know about you. I want the next generation of Christ the King to do so much more than the present generation that we are boggled at their ability to be able to surpass us. I want to finish this run with enough friends to have a nice bowl of salad with. I don't even need a steak dinner. I just want to have people to share some stuff with. I don't want to wring my hands and fret about the condition of the world. I want to create a welcoming committee for Jesus. I don't want to chase the wind. I want the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill my heart and soul to the point where I'm actually content being yesterday's news. How about you? How about you? One more person to go. Person number three. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one or has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is the only person out of the three who was not summarized with the word meaningless. Which means Solomon's pointing at this person and saying, this is the meaningful one, get a clue. Person number three, they're connected and they're not alone. The simple fact that this person actually has other people, that's what sets them apart as this elevated great example. Two are better than one. Let me talk to everyone in the room. That means even if you're an introvert, two are better than one. Okay? Don't use your Myers-Briggs as an excuse to not have to interconnect with other people. You need people. I need people. People are often surprised. I'm an introvert. I get my energy away from people by myself, but I can't stay off and all alone. And Solomon actually says, let me tell you a few reasons why it's so important to have. And by the way, this is not just advocating marriage. Let's not get caught there. It's advocating community, friendship. So two can be connected and not alone. Two can also be connected and productive. Two people working together can often produce more than twice what they could produce alone. It's the principle of the ox cart. Years ago, started at Christ the King Church. I was originally, I was like the college young adult pastor way back in the old days, okay? Back in the old days when still had a mullet. It was a bad season, I'm just saying, okay? All right. But Mark Warrington came into my office on the very first day I was here. Some of you remember Mark and Sally Warrington. Mark, Mark was like talking to Moses, Right? He would look into your soul and his question was always, how's your soul? And something inside of you would be compelled to share your deepest, darkest sin right in that moment. And because that was just who Mark was. And Mark, as beautiful as Mark was, then there was Sally. Sally was generous and gregarious. She just loved Jesus. It just, it just leaked out of her everywhere. And Mark walked in and he put a tiny little carving of two oxen yoked together in front of a little wagon. And he pushed it across the desk and he said, this is you and Laurel. Amen. I'm like, I'm not sure I get it. He said, Grant, one ox can pull 8,000 pounds. Goes, How much do you think two ox can pull? And I'm like, 16,000? <laughs> He's like, one oxen by itself can pull 8,000. Two together 
can pull 24,000 pounds. Because you and Laurel are better together. You and someone else from this church that needs a pastor, you're better together. We all are better together. Solomon is saying not only can you do more, but having someone to do it with is such a blessing because there's a good return for their labor. So two can not only be connected and be productive, they can also be known. I have a question for you. Do you have enough friends to carry your casket? You're like, I don't have to worry about that, Grant. My family will do it. No, your family will do it because they're supposed to. I'm asking, do you have enough friends to carry you to your final resting place because they actually want to honor you because you've been a good friend to them? If you fell down this afternoon, how long would it take for someone to know? If you were freezing tonight, who would come and offer the warmth of friendship? You know, these verses are often quoted in the context of marriage, but the suggestion of sharing warmth here is not what some of you are thinking, okay? In the ancient Middle East, people would travel dangerous roads between cities. And it was incredibly dangerous because robbers and highwaymen would target caravans that were moving. That's why they always traveled together, because they knew something to be true. There's safety in numbers, right? In numbers. Now, if you got caught between two cities late at night, you were unbelievably vulnerable. So what you would do is this. You'd find a little rocky seam and you'd back in so that your back was against the rock so nobody could attack you from behind and you would connect with your friend. You'd cuddle up and you would do something in ancient Israel, which was not weird. It was completely normal. You would share your cloak with them. Two cloaks over top of two people allowed you to survive because deserts are not hot at night, they're freezing. It was a statement of trust and survival. Let me summarize it for you. No community, you're dead. Without community, you're vulnerable and exposed. It's just true. But you can do something about it. You can make a decision today to actually connect with community. Now, you do have other options. You could stand here today, wring your hands, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, or you could take a risk and actually reach out for community. I need to say something else. I'm going to say it as gently as I possibly can. Please hear my heart with this. If you find community difficult and you have friends that seem to rotate through your life really, 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 really quickly, for the love of God, it may not be everybody else's fault. You might actually have to go look in a mirror and check yourself. Now, I said that last night, and this morning in my email box was a beautiful email from a 17-year-old high school girl from our church that said, Grant, I totally get what you're saying, but she said, for some of us, the reality is we've reached out, and every attempt we've made has been rebuffed. I'm so thankful that we got a church where 17-year-old kids feel like they can challenge their pastor. That just makes me <laughs> smile. Because Abigail helped me make this message better. When you feel like everyone else has rebuffed you, Jesus never has. Amen. And if you reach to him first and say, the desire of my heart is to connect with other people, because let's face it, sometimes we just need God with skin on, Right? God, would you help me find that safe person? I know his answer will be yes. 
One more piece. Two are better than one because they're connected. And finally, they're also connected and protected. So when you're alone, you're vulnerable. When you're in community, you have greater spiritual protection. Sometimes you just need somebody to pick you up. So last night, getting ready for the service, standing backstage where I do, I'm always eavesdropping, listening to you guys sing, which is a beautiful thing to get to do. And my phone goes off. I've met Jason Johnson one time, one time. Jason's new to the community. They just moved from Atlanta to the Pacific Northwest. That is culture shock, I'm telling you straight out. Jason's the new pastor at Nooksack Valley Christ Community Church. He heard about the fact that in this community, the pastors actually like each other and pray for each other. In fact, we get together about four times a year at the Furs, and we gather in a room, and we pray for each other, and it's vulnerable, and sometimes it's, it's confession, sometimes it's repentance, it's beautiful, and the only deal we make is you don't pray for your own church, you got to pray for somebody else's. Jason heard about that. He dropped in at the office. I've met him one time for an hour. And I get this email, this text on my phone. Grant, I'm praying for you. By the way, can we talk later? I'm like, yes. I'm praying for you. I didn't have a horrible day yesterday. I had a pretty good day. I got a lot of stuff done. But there were a couple moments, just little speed bumps along the way. And right before I walk out to open Ecclesiastes 4, which isn't the easiest passage in the world to break open, the God of the universe taps a brother on the heart in Everson and pushes him hard enough so that he picks up the phone and sends a quick little message. Praying for you. I was so inspired. You know what I did this morning? I have my little coffee shop that I, that I go to before I come over here early in the morning. I grab my phone and, and what did I do? Hey, Jason, praying for you. Push the envelope. Give him heaven. I mean, that's what I said, all right? <laughs> Some of you thought I was going a different direction, didn't you? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> he picked me up. Got to return the favor. Solomon would say, I wish I had that. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, communion is strength, solitude is weakness. Alone, the free old beech tree yields to the blast and lies prone in the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. Two are better than one. Four people, disillusioned and devastated, successful but alone, connected and whole, or yesterday's news. Pick one. I've met people who've tried to tell me, Grant, I want to be, I, I would be totally happy being filthy rich and alone. I don't buy it. I don't buy it because you don't have anything or anyone to share anything with. I have people all the time say, I'm just so freaked out at the condition of the world. The last time I checked, Jesus is still on the throne. We're good. And even if it all comes crashing down, I read my Bible, we all get an upgrade and we win in the end. It's perfect for me. <laughs> Today's fine. I'm working on it, all right, you know. 
So the question is, do you want to be one of the other three or do you want to be a person who can give and receive connection, give and receive protection, give and receive profit, and give and receive the beautiful gift of being known? So all weekend long, because it's 12, 14, and 32 seconds, which means we're actually like really close to being early today. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to do something that we often don't do. But because it's a long weekend and you guys don't have anywhere to be in a hurry, right? It's like half town, half the town is in Fairhaven, like at the end of Ski to Sea, right? So we got time. Nobody's going to beat you to Red Robin today. Okay, you're good. You're right. You're good. But there's a word in scripture that I have been thinking about more and more and more and more and more. It's the word linger. We're in such a hurry, we just don't linger anymore. How that works out practically is this. Some of you have been sitting in the same row with the same people for more than a decade, and you don't know their name. It's not the way God's family is supposed to work. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to challenge you to do something. They've done it amazingly at all of the other services. That people that didn't know what happened in the service are walking around going, what's going on? I'm going to encourage you to linger for a few minutes. And take a huge risk. What if you move beyond a handshake and actually talk to the people that are sitting around you? I think the God of the universe put them there on purpose. Now the introverts are like, I don't like this project. <laughs> do you really want to do life alone? Now's an opportunity, right? Now is your opportunity to actually make a connection. What if in three minutes, it wasn't about whether or not you got something out of it, but whether or not it was, you were available to be used by God? Young lady came forward after the Saturday night service last night. Her name's Lindsay. Lindsay started coming to church the week after Easter. She's brand new around here. And God gave her the courage to come and talk and pray. We'll have a pe some people up here to pray if you need to pray about something. At least I think there's folks here from the prayer team. I don't know. It's a long weekend, all right? But she just came forward, and, and I'm talking to her for a second, and out of the corner of my eye, the God of the universe put Julie Burleson, one of our small group's pastors, right over there. And said, hey, Jules, come here for a second. And Lindsay shares a prayer request, and we pray together, and Julie gets her connected, and Lindsay walks out of here knowing two people by their first name. Amen. If you're lonely, that's a big deal. So in a second, I'm going to set you free to actually connect and linger for just a minute or two. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father God, I thank you for the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 4, and I thank you so much that two is still better than one. So God, I pray your blessing over my brothers and sisters and, and the small conversations that we will have right now that may seem incidental and even meaningless, but God, because you're in the middle of them, we know they will be meaningful. So, Lord Jesus, bless our time together as a family here and in the commons. As we go to pick up our kids, God, give us the courage to simply say, Hi, I'm Grant. And may our connections today lead us to a more meaningful life. We thank you for the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 4. We look forward to Ecclesiastes 5. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Talk amongst yourselves. 
Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.